0: Good morning and welcome to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church. Delighted that you've come to join with us today. My name is Duncan. I serve as the pastor here. And uh, if this is your first time, or a thousand and first time, or something in between, a very warm welcome. We come here to worship the Lord. A long, long time ago, there was a man named Moses who traveled to meet one of the most powerful men in all the world. He was the Pharaoh of Egypt. And Moses said to the Pharaoh, The the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go, that they might worship me in the wilderness. Do you know what the first words Pharaoh said in return were? The first word was, I heard something there, who, he said, who is the Lord, top marks, who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? Who is the Lord? And maybe you wonder that when we say we're coming here to worship the Lord today, you say, well, who is the Lord that I should worship Him? Well, much later, a man called Nehemiah put it like this You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Who is the Lord? He is the one who made every space that there is and everything that dwells within it, and He is the one that keeps it all holding together all the time. He is the one who made you. Thank you. We're going to read from the Bible now. One of the great things about having our family service is that we get to to bring what the junior church would be learning in their lessons. We get to bring it into our service so we can all listen in to what they've been thinking about. And they've been learning about the story of what God did in the time of Moses. God's people were stuck in Egypt. They were being used as slaves, and God sent Moses to command the Pharaoh of Egypt to let the people go, and he refused for a long time until judgment fell upon Egypt and Pharaoh finally let them go. And you think that's the happy ending of the story, right? They get to go, But it's not the happy ending of the story. Not yet. They still weren't safe. And Fred is going to come and read the first part of that story for us in Exodus chapter 14. Thank you, Fred.
1: So, uh, Exodus 14, verse 5, please. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and had his chariot and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all pharaohs, horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped at the sea near High Hiroth opposite Baal As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians. Marching after them, they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die
0: in the desert. Thank you. This is the story of God's people cornered. They're led out of Egypt, they're heading out of Egypt, heading east, and they're directed to this place where they have the great expanse of the Red Sea in front of them. Where are they going to go next? And if that wasn't bad enough, They hear this rumbling, this faint rumbling in the distance, and they look back and what do they see? They see Pharaoh's armies charging after them. They thought they were free, and now Pharaoh and his armies have started to pursue them again, wanting to take them back to Egypt, wanting to take them back into slavery, wanting to get them back doing the hard work of building all these important projects in Egypt. What are they going to do? Well, you see, God had promised these people that He was going to rescue them, that He was going to make them His people. They were so excited, weren't they? Just think about all of the things they had seen. I mean, it wasn't just that Moses had arrived, but these miraculous things had taken place. You know, the River Nile had turned to blood. There had been all sorts of plagues of insects, diseases, darkness, in fact, even death. And God rescued Israel out of all of this. He was committed to them, but all it took was to see the Egyptian army chasing after them for them to be terrified and to doubt that God was going to do anything for them ever again. Why did you bring us out here, Moses? It would have been better if we just remained slaves, they're going to kill us now. They are not at all confident that God would do what He's promised to do. This part of the history of Israel is one that raises a really important question. And uh, I'm going to put some slides up to help us try and work out what that question is. Thank you, Carl. Give us the first question. Does anyone know what um, uh, uh, this symbol represents? Um, this isn't just for children. I think possibly children, hopefully, won't have a clue what this symbol represents. Anyone know what this symbol represents? Don't be, don't be afraid. Don't Wrestling, Yep, we won't judge you for that. This is the symbol of the, the World Wrestling Entertainment Incorporation, or something like that, the WWE. But it wasn't always called the WWE. When I was a kid it was called something else, does anyone know? It was called WWF, next slide please, the WWF. Now, why would they change their name from WWF to WWE? Well, it's because of, next slide, please. It's because of these guys, the World Wildlife Fund. And since the 1960s, which is a time when, well, probably your grandparents were, will remember, this World Wildlife Fund has been looking after pandas and other animals. And they said, hang on a minute. You can't call yourselves WWF. We're the WWF. So they went to court, and they changed, the the wrestlers changed their name to WWE. I've got another one for you, Carl. Sam Bucks Coffee. Sam Bucks Coffee. Somebody who lived way out in the west of the United States of America opened up a coffee shop called Sam Bucks Coffee. Now, who do you think didn't like that? Next slide, please. Starbucks Coffee. Now here's the thing, the person who owned Sam Buck's Coffee, do you know what their name was? Sam Buck. (laughs) So Starbucks took them to court and said, you can't call yourself Sam Buck's Coffee, we're the only Buck's Coffee in town. And what do you think happened? Well, only in the great United States, my friends. (laughs) Sam Buck was told she couldn't call her coffee Sam Buck's Coffee because Starbucks own it. One more slide. If you see a scene like this, here's two boys, and what are they fighting over? They're fighting over the same toy. And someone says, right, you need to go in here and you need to sort this out. I mean, this happens every day in my house, every day. Every day. Between my wife and I, we just cannot agree whose is what. If you're going to go in and sort this out, and you can only ask one question, what question would you ask? This got an idea? Yeah. Why are you arguing is a good question. Any other ideas? Whose is it? Oh, that's the one I like. <laughs> well, whose is it? Who does the toy belong to? Because, you know, possession is nine-tenths of the law and all this. That's what we would want to know, isn't it? Who does this toy belong to? That will help us sort all this out. And that's the same question we're asking here. When the Israelites are at the Red Sea and the Egyptians come chasing after them, here's the big question Who do these people belong to? They were slaves in Egypt. They used to belong to Pharaoh, it seems. And now God has taken them out of Egypt. He said that He's theirs. And here's the big question Who do they belong to? Do they belong to Pharaoh or do they belong to God? Who has the right to claim these people? the wicked slave master king, or the God who redeemed and delivered them? Listen to what God says to them next. He says this, verse 13, Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. This is God promising to continue to step in for these people because they are His. He says, I'm going to keep on with you. I'm the one who brought you out. I'm the one who will bring you safely home. This is an example of the grace of God. It means God doing something for someone not because they've earned it, not because they they, they deserve it, but because simply He loves them. Later God would encourage His people to reflect back on this sort of occasion. And God would remind them that it wasn't because they were a big people, it wasn't because they were a powerful people that He he chose them, but it was because He loved them. Because He loved them. And this is how God has always worked. You know, way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, God promised to send a rescuer who would defeat the devil. He didn't say, now, I'll send him if you... No, he didn't. He just promised to do it. When God spoke to Abraham and called Abraham, he promised to make Abraham into a great nation and that through his descendants he would bless all the nations of the world. And he didn't say to Abraham, now, I'll do all this if you… No, God just promised to do it. And that all points us to Jesus. You see, we are all sinners, and I think we, we probably all understand that idea when we think about the things that we do. We sometimes do wrong things. But when the Bible speaks about us being sinners, the Bible teaches us, and, and experience I think confirms for us, being a sinner is about more than just things we do. It's something that we are. There's something in us. We're, drawn towards doing bad things. Our hearts want to rebel against God's, and so we do all the time, even if sometimes in our minds we think, oh, I wish I would stop doing that. I wish I wasn't like that. We keep doing those same things again and again, and it's because that's what we are as human beings that we need God's Grace. God doing something for us that we don't deserve and that we can't earn. We could never earn something from God. We could never make ourselves good enough. We just don't have it in us. But here's the good news God is gracious. We need God to show us grace, and God is gracious. And we see that in how he deals with his people at the Red Sea. He says, Don't be afraid. You stand still and watch as I bring salvation for you. God sent Jesus Christ His Son to become one of us, to live the life that we haven't lived, to die the death that we deserve, and to be raised from the dead to eternal life, so that everyone who trusts in Him will be right with God, will have sins forgiven, and will live forever with Jesus. And what does God say that you must do to get all of those things? He says, everything has already been done. Everything's been done. You don't need to do, I have done everything that you need in Jesus. You simply must believe in Him. And then you belong to Him. And as we're going to see some more in a moment, God promises to keep us forever and we're going to read the next part of our story in Exodus 14. I'm going to invite Heather to come and read to us. She's going to pick up the story in verse 15 and listen out for what God does and what His people do to see this rescue take place. Thank you.
2: The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and his his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten over Pharaoh, Glory of a pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of the God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. Then there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, and in the morning, watched the Lord in the the pillar of fire and cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces, and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, "Let us flee from Israel before. Let us flee from before. Let us sorry. Let us flee from before Israel." for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out this hand into the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So, the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Okay.
0: So, I want to really get this point home. So, let me move some of this. If you are um, 12 is the cutoff. If you're 12 or under, I need you to come and help me if you're willing. If you're willing to be uh, an, an Israelite stuck at the Red Sea. Anyone willing to do that for me? You can come right on up here beside me. All right, we've got a couple of willing Israelites. Good start, good start. Anyone else coming? Oh, yes, yes, now we're talking. Now, there were more than 600,000 men amongst those Israelites back then, so we're getting close, and this is very appropriate today we will need him. Now, um, gather Israelites, come on up, come on up, you're very welcome. What I need you to do is to get behind the sea that's behind me. Can we all fit in behind there? And you're going to need to follow some complex instructions to get out of there. Perfect. Teet him over the top, that'll do. Okay, you coming in? Excellent. Okay. Now, here we are, stranded behind the Red Sea. We've got the Pharaoh's armies pursuing us from behind. We've got to get this way somehow. And I know that every fiber of your being wants to just burst through the paper, right? That's this explosive display of power and, 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 and how impressive it would be to see you jump through there. But God had different plans, okay? So here's the, the, the difficult details. Just stand still, just be quiet. And did you notice that God sent a wind that took the whole night to separate the sea? I and mean, it wasn't like uh, Charlton Heston and all of that. It took a whole night. He said, just, you just stand still there. And uh, here's how we're going to get out of this predicament. Just you Watch. you think maybe I'll let you burst through the last little bit but no, God says I'm going to do everything, everything and then through you come, you made it and feel free to walk over as much dry ground as you want to get back to your seat and Mark is going to bring you something for you to look at for these next few minutes because I want to say something that you can listen into, but I'm going to speak to the grown-ups for a little minute. You see, the parting of the Red Sea answered decisively, decisively, who owns this people? It was God. You see, God's commitment to his people was about more than than just words. Because in bringing them through the Red Sea, God not only rescued them from the pursuing enemy, but God made it clear to them that these slave masters who once held complete power over them would never, ever make a claim on them again. The Egyptians in their eagerness to get hold of the Israelites, what do they do? They follow them into the sea. But they don't cross with the same ease that God's people do. And in fact, they look up at these towering walls of sea on either side and they see them start to give way. Down they come. The sea returns, as it was put in the passage, to its normal course. And that didn't end well for the Egyptians that day. If you have your Bibles there or the passage in front of you, look at verse 30. It says, Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. That would not have been a pretty sight. But this was a reminder to God's people that God would never allow the Egyptians to enslave them again. Here was the guarantee, they were dead on the shore. And this is why the Israelites love to talk about this great rescue that God did for them out of Egypt, because it was such a decisive rescue. They told their children about it every year, and their children told their children about it every year, and in fact, they are still telling their children about it every year. Because this rescue was like God putting His stamp on His people and it said, you belong to me. Now, here's something that would be unusual. What if having been rescued from slavery, these Israelites said, you know what, I'm starting to miss some of that stuff. What if I order some, uh, some chains from Amazon and bind myself? What if I hire myself a slave master who can make me work 20 hours a day hard labor? It would be silly, wouldn't it? be silly, having been freed from slavery, why on earth would you try and put yourself back into it? But that is what the tragic history of Israel tells us. This people would many times turn away from God, and instead of living in the freedom that God had given them, they would go back into slavery. Perhaps without realizing it, they would enslave themselves, they would worship false gods, they would they would, they would live as if God didn't exist, and it is slavery. No, they needed to keep reminding themselves about what happened at the Red Sea. Do you remember what happened at the Red Sea? We saw those old slave masters dead on the shore, never to enslave us again. We belong to God now. And this same tragic history that took place in Israel is something that happens among Christians all the time. You see, before we trust in Jesus, the Bible tells us we are slaves to sin. We freely choose to sin, but it's the only choice we can make. It's just what we're like, like we said earlier. It binds us. It gets such a hold of us, we just can't break free from it. But Jesus has come to break The bondage of sin. And that seems like a funny thing to say because for a lot of people, when they think about Christianity, they think that it is something that restricts your freedom, don't they? It's something that's just full of rules and restrictive. It doesn't let you live a free life. In fact, the Bible teaches us the very opposite. Faith in Jesus when someone trusts in Jesus Christ, it is then, for the first time in their life, they are truly free, free not to have to sin. As well as having sins forgiven, as well as being brought into the family of God, there is something that changes in you. There is a power, a new power at work in your life. God dwells within you by His Holy Spirit. We're no longer just at the mercy of our sinful nature. Now the Spirit gives us new desires, new abilities, because the old slave master has been broken. The Apostle Paul would write this to the Colossians. He says of Jesus, "'He forgave us all our sins.'" having canceled the charge of our legal debt which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It is at the cross that Jesus takes away our sin, It is there that Jesus takes away the penalty for sin that we deserve. It is there that Jesus defeats all the enemies of humanity, the, the enemies of sin and of death and of Satan. He defeats them all at the cross. And yet the Apostle Paul had to remind Christians, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery if you are a Christian here today, however strong or weak you might think you are, if you belong to Jesus, then He has defeated the powers of evil. He has defeated them. He has broken the power of sin and of death and of Satan. And even though they all regularly try to reassert their authority in your life, we are able to look again at the cross of Jesus where He has defeated them all. and Paul would say to us, remain in that freedom then. You're free not to have to sin. Don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In what ways do Christians burden themselves again with a yoke of slavery? Sometimes it is the simple one, the yoke of sin. We fall into these habits of sin, things that we struggle to shake off, We fall back into them, we let them dominate our lives again. The gospel tells us Jesus Jesus breaks that, Jesus can break that. The fundamental thing that needs to change, Jesus has changed. There's power in the gospel to break the bondage of sin. Sometimes we fall into the bondage, the slavery of legalism, where we think we can earn something from God. If we just do enough stuff around the church, if we just do enough good things, God will be pleased with us we forget God's grace. That is slavery, slavery, always trying to work to please God. No, we have to remind ourselves of the cross of Jesus where He has done everything to save us, and we respond in worship and in love. But there are others, aren't there? Sometimes we get enslaved by fear, fear of the future, what is coming, where we need to be reminded that we are now in God's hands so that whatever the future brings, He will bring you through it. Sometimes we take on the burdens of busyness, of anxiety, you name it, we can turn it into a slave master. But here we're reminded God breaks our old slave masters, that we might live in true freedom, freedom to live in a way that brings glory to God. It is the way of grace. God's grace breaks and kills our slave masters forever. And so He calls us as Christians to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. And if you're not a Christian here today, you recognize those patterns, I'm sure, in life, that we are drawn to these sinful things. Well, Jesus has come to change all of that. And in fact, only Jesus can change that, because only Jesus deals with the problem of sin. If there's anything that's been said here today or done here today you want to ask more about or if you would just appreciate prayer I'll be down in this corner please do come and speak to me love to share that time with you Uh, But we're going to close by saying the words of the grace together this is really us a, a prayer for one another as we go into this new week so now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all amen and amen God bless